run Rommel's looking like he's got one more good run Zip's a little shaky But his heart is still true Oh how that dog loves hunting with me and you Sporting dog adventures run Everything you need is here under the sun Sporting Dog Adventures podcast is proudly brought to you by Soggy Acres Retrievers. My name is Jeff Fuller. I've been breeding dogs for over 20 years and it is my passion. We love putting best friends in people's homes and selling them that dream. That dream of riding the truck next to you, running around the field on a hunt, or just being a best friend at your house. If you're looking for a high-quality Labrador Retriever puppy, please check our website out as www.soggyacres.com or you can call me at 262-215-9683 or email me sportingdogtv at gmail.com. Remember, whether it's yellow, black, or chocolate, everyone deserves a Soggy Dog. Here at the Sporting Dog Adventures podcast, we are all about the dogs. As our listeners, we want to thank you all for listening. We want to ask you a favor. Please give us a five-star rating. Give us a thumbs up. Share us with your friends. If you can support us financially, go to Anchor Support and support us there. We are only as strong as our fans and your help that you give us where we are going to spread our love for dogs and dogs in the field. Please share it to your friends and family. Please help us grow. Thank you again so much for listening to us. God bless. Welcome to Sporting Dog Adventures Podcast. I am your host, Jeff Fuller, and I have my beautiful wife, Catherine, here today. Hello. She's actually known to our fans as Kate. When I met her, she told me her name was Catherine, and I told her I was far too much of a caveman to use that long of a word. So because she was mine, I renamed her, and I renamed her Kate. But it's my name. And it's funny because now she went from K-A-T-E, which is... How, how, spelled how I spelled her name because I named her on the <laughs> TV show to now she's added a Y. So she's bought into the Kate, but she's made it her own. I'm going to spell it my way. If you're going to rename me, the least I get to do is spell it my way. Well, you know, it's, it's property rights, I guess. I, you, were, you were silly enough to marry me, so I get to name you. Mm-hmm. So today we have a fun topic. We're going to talk about what is the AKC. In our dog training tips, we are going to talk about our gun dog training series week two. We're going to basically chronicle our training program with the dogs that we have in for three months right now and give you a week by week. And then in our hunting tip, we're going to talk about why now is the time to start getting your dog in shape for next year along with yourself. So Kate, throw us into what you want to talk about. Well, we meet so many, so many wonderful people all year long that you, you know, sell puppies to. And I go through the puppy paperwork like I always do with them. And one of the things they always get is they get their AKC registration packet. And a lot of times there's sort of this like glossed over look. They don't know what it is. They don't know what it's for. They've heard the acronym AKC and they know it has something to do with dogs, but they don't know what it is. 
they don't want to ask because here they're buying a purebred dog and of course you want to make it look like you did your research and you understand everything but they really don't know what it is what the packet is for what registration gets them or does for them they just they don't understand the whole process so it comes down to when we talk to people or i get calls on the phone it's always do the dogs have papers Papers. papers and that would be your pedigree papers akc registered there's hrc registration what i will tell you is that when people say i've got a great dog because it has papers honestly just the registration on its own is not enough we need to look at pedigrees which is the cool part that kate's going to talk about but we need to look at the pedigree so that we can look and see that the dog has titled are the title dogs in its background over five generations or three generations, whatever you're looking at, that shows that it has the ability for what you're looking for. Whether that be the intelligence to pass a hunt test so that you can just have a great a great pet that is smart, or a hunting dog, or running run competition, or a certain look you're looking for with showbred dogs, it will be in there, whether it's agility, whether it's hunting, whether it's show, so that you can see it on the titles of the parents. Yeah, so depending, you know, like you said, you want a, a dog as a pet or you want a dog as a hunting companion or whatever it is you want the dog for, you can learn a lot about the dog you're going to get by researching its pedigree, which we'll talk about later. Um, but just having papers, just having a pedigree dog doesn't have any, doesn't mean anything as far as to the quality of the dog or what you're getting. Anyone who has a purebred registered male and female can breed those pets together and, and get dogs. And it doesn't mean that they're suitable to hunt. It doesn't mean it's a great house pet. It doesn't mean that doesn't they have any health anything. clearances. Yeah, There's not even health anything. clearances needed to have a registered dog. No, it means nothing. So the cool part about pedigrees, and I always listen to, to Kate with a Y talk about uh, pedigrees, was she actually likes them for a specific purpose, and that is? Research. I research them. I absolutely love doing it. Um, I recommend other people do it. Basically, if you look at a pedigree and before you buy a dog, of course, always make sure that, that the pedigrees for mom and dad are on the website or request them so you can take a look at them yourself. But um, you can do a couple of things with them, um, both research oriented. Any dogs that have letters like alpha characters in front of their name or behind their name, it means that dog has a title. Um, so, you know, they accomplished something. And the back of the pedigree actually has all the codes as to what those accomplishments are. So like a person, if you've got a PhD after your name, we all know that means that you have a doctorate degree and you could do some research and find out what that person got their doctorate in. Same thing with dogs. You can take any dog and just copy paste their name with all of their titles into a Google browser. And most likely you will be able to do research on that dog. You can find stories, pictures, um, in more recent cases, videos, all kinds of information on what that dog did, what they look like, what they accomplished, what kennel bred them. And then if you have questions, you could actually go back to that breeder, if it's still a current kennel, and get more information. Um, the other thing you can do is you can do a search for certain dogs that are maybe in your pedigree. And we have people that will contact me and say, hey, we had a dog that wasn't from your kennel, but had your dog Rommel in the pedigree. Do you still breed Rommel? And Rommel has passed. Albeit, we do still have several breeding uh, doses that are frozen, so we'll, we'll do some history-type breedings for our future stud dogs so that we can look back and nostalgic. But you can 
use that name to find pedigrees that have dogs in it on certain sites. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had somebody not that long ago that was like, oh, I was doing pedigree research and I saw you had um, Heidel's Mallard machine in your lines. Sure we do, and we still do, and you can still get a dog from us from those lines. So it's really cool if you had a dog in a line you like, or if you just want to be sure, you know, do some research to find out what you're getting. Like you said, is it a show dog? Is it um, some dog that ran, you know, in hunt trials? Or what is it exactly you're getting and what have they accomplished in their life? Um, The other thing that I've used it for, um, for myself, for the chihuahuas that I own, is I want to be quite specific on how much line breeding I see or don't see in a pedigree. So if I'm looking at a pedigree for a chihuahua, and I see the same male in that pedigree again and again and again. So this particular male was not only dad, but he was also grandpa on the female side. And he was also great grandpa. And he was, you know, I'm I'm personally not a fan of animals when there's too much line breeding in their pedigree. So I like to make sure that if there's the animal in the pedigree more than once, it's got a decent distance apart from, from the others. And when looking at line breeding, the, the same dog appearing on both sides of the pedigree, depending on where it is, is not a bad thing. But what Kate is saying is where it's multiple times on each side. And when you look at it, people will look, if they see any dogs that are the same, they'll actually look and say, oh, it's inbred. Mm-hmm. You got to look yeah. at it as percentage. If in fourth generation, you had the same sire as third generation on the other, the actual percentages that are the same are, are quite minute. And you get into people where first cousins are not allowed to marry because there can be genetic issues that with the offspring. You're looking at like far past that in the same percentage. So it's acceptable, but again, it still it lets you look to make sure that it is a well-bred dog. Yeah. The particular kennel I was looking at for this Chihuahua, the dogs ran between five and $10,000. And I actually kind of felt guilty asking to review the pedigrees because I felt like, why would I doubt it? At that price point, I would certainly have no issues. Um, there were health clearances that weren't done, which you know isn't apparent from a pedigree, but I did ask and know she wasn't doing them. And she had the same male in her pedigree in three generations. It was like every single, every single parent. So. so that is something on a positive and negative that you can look at with pedigrees. It is a fun thing with the AKC. You can actually get yourself so that you get a magazine and you learn about dogs. They'll send you updates. There's a lot of positive to re- to registering your dog. But the one thing that we don't, with our clients, we do not register the dogs ahead of time. For our clients, we let them have that be their choice. We also don't give the AKC our client list, which they would like, but... Considering that we have to pay to register a litter and our clients have to pay to register their dogs, it's not incumbent on me to give them my client list. No, we keep our client uh, information completely confidential. The only one that would ever have a chance of seeing it is when um, the state comes out to audit our records and um, review our kennels. Sometimes they'll glance through the files just quickly to make sure you know we're not a puppy mill, but that's it. We provide it to absolutely no one. And the AKC does do inspections once you get over a certain amount of litters, but when they come to inspect our kennel, they're asking about specific clients that have registered their dog just to make sure that we have notated on the forms properly. Mm-hmm. Which we do. We're very good at our record keeping. Um, much, always... better, much better since Kate with, a, <laughs> Kate with a Y joined the family. <laughs> I'm pretty meticulous about it. Uh, and actually, our bigger problem is destroying all the records. I keep too much. And then pretty soon there's no room in the office anymore. And it's like, okay, we need to have a burn party. So 
So again, what is the AKC? I hope we helped you with that. You can check out for more information. You can go to their website, akc.org. We are, we register all of our litters with that. We also have individual dogs registered the HRC, but yet we don't register our litters. Again, that just comes into cost. The more registrations that we do with, with groups, the higher the price would be for our puppies. So we, we go with the gold standard, which is the AKC registration, but we also encourage people to look at the UKC or the uh, HRC. They're the same thing and have your, have your dogs registered through them. So I hope that helps you. Again, stay tuned next for week two of our gun dog training series and also our fun hunting tip coming up after that. All that and more coming up after this. Hey, welcome back to the show. So now is time for our training part, which this is our gun dog series. We're in week two of a three month series. This is going to basically be me chronicling what I do with dogs every week to give you an idea on setting up your training program. I don't sell a training program. In my opinion, many training programs are so much similar that it's, it's finding one that has good structure and good step-by-step but I hope this does help you as you're looking for training your gun dog. My goal is always to get more people involved with their dogs and hunting with dogs in the field. So that's why we're making this available to you here on the podcast. So let's start. Last week, we started on week one where we were working on our obedience with a pinch collar and then starting our e-collar work at the end of the week by putting a dummy collar on the dogs and also putting the dogs up onto the trained retrieve table so that we're starting that trained retrieve, that conditioned retrieve, also known in past as force fetch. But you're basically teaching the dog that they have to put something in their mouth and hold on to it and hold it until they're commanded to drop. So this week we started out where we have the e-collar on the dog and we're starting to do something called e-collar conditioning. Our dogs are walking great at heel. They are sitting on command. The only thing that I have with a few of the dogs is making sure that they're sitting properly. So they're sitting straight down and not kicking out to a side so they can face me. So it's teaching them that sit does mean sit at heel so that their spine is in line with my foot. And that is accomplished by pulling up slightly on the leash so that they have that pinch collar there so it teaches them because they've been corrected with the pinch collar it teaches them i'm going to sit quickly because i don't want to get corrected so use that to your advantage so that you're making them sit their spine is in line with your foot and this will help you later as we build our dog and get them into the field again we're now going to start collar conditioning this week which that is where you're going to say sit and you are going to push the button at the same time on a momentary stimulation. Before we get to that point though, we need to figure out what level of stimulation a dog needs to be at. So you're gonna have a collar on. You're gonna make sure it's snug enough where you can only fit two fingers under the collar and you are gonna start at the middle level on the collar. So today I was using a collar system that had seven levels. I started on three, the dog is seated. I'm not gonna give any command, I'm just gonna push the button. The dog's going to look around, 
when they feel the stimulation. If they look around or they flinch a little, that's where I'm going to start. I'm now going to walk with the dog at heel, and about every third time when I say sit, I am going to push the button on the collar and give them a momentary stimulation. The collar is in the same exact position right next to the prong collar or pinch collar. So again, you're giving your pressure in the same area so the dog understands it. You're teaching the dog to turn the collar off by sitting quickly because they think that they're going to get corrected if they don't. And you're conditioning them over time so that they don't think the collar is what is correcting them. They think that their behavior or in this instance, eventually once we're to the point where we have them where we're using it as a reinforcement tool, that their behavior is causing the correction. So walk with them at heel. It's going to be heel. Good dog. Heel. Good. Sit. Good dog. As they sit, remember, remember to use lots of positive reinforcement. You want to make sure that you're at 80% positive, 20% negative. The 20% negative being if you have to use your pinch collar or the dog bolts and the pinch collar employs itself because of their actions and you and when we're using our e-collar. You're going to correct the day on the, uh, the dog the first day about three times and then call it good. Second day, I would use it about five times. And then days after that, I'm going to go on a long walk with the dog, work with them on proper healing, work with them on their sitting, and just make sure that they are just meticulous in where they're at with healing, with their shoulder next to my knee, sitting properly where they're sitting quickly so that they are having their spine in line with where my foot's pointed. And I'm going to probably use the collar in that 15 time range. So that means that you're going to sit the dog about 45 times because we're going to use it every third time. So along with this, we now have the dog. After I work on my, my obedience with the e-collar, I take the dogs and I put them up on the conditioned retrieve table. We have started with an ear pinch, which is where you are pinching inside their ear, creating discomfort. They're, put, they're opening their mouth. They're putting the bumper in their mouth to the command fetch. By the second week, we're about midway through the second week, I have where the dogs are now just grabbing the bumper because they understand that if they don't grab it, they will get corrected in their ear with the pinch. So we are going to go one more day where they are grabbing the bumper and have them toward, toward the last part of the week here where they are actually reaching for the bumper. So it's not just having them open and putting it in their mouth. It's having them reach toward the bumper. Again, I still have them where the prong collar is on their, their uh, around their neck. I have them with a leash that is through an eye hook in the ceiling so that I just have them so that they can't bolt or hurt themselves or hurt, my, or hurt me. You're putting them in a position so they're just under control. We're not using it in any way to correct them. It's just the point uh, to the dog is that they have that pinch collar on so they know they can't lunge one way or the other. You're going to... Again, continue working with the dog on table, telling them fetch and using a, a stimulation in their ear at the same time. Now we're going to start giving them freebies. Today, I corrected the dogs or used the, the uh, uh, ear pinch twice on each dog. And after that, the dogs were putting the dowel, I use a wooden dowel, in their mouth and they were holding it. And once you get into where you're doing conditioned retrieve, the dogs will actually not want to give you whatever's in their mouth because they get to the point where they understand you're going to correct me if it's not there. So I'm holding on to it. Again, talk to them. Good dog. Good. Hold. Good dog. Hold. Give them lots of praise. 
do this the entire week until you get toward the end of the week. And again, at the end of the week, we're going to get it so that they're actually reaching for uh, reaching for the wooden dowel. And actually, once we get to the end of the week and we're through some or the majority of our e-collar conditioning, we're going to start using the collar where we are going to push the button and use a momentary stimulation with the collar as opposed to using an ear pinch. So we're going to transition our correction from an ear pinch to a collar uh, stimulation so that they understand they have to put the bumper in their mouth or the dowel in their mouth quickly to avoid getting that pressure. Again, it is avoidance. You're basically teaching the dogs to turn pressure off by doing what you want and you get them so that they try to do it quickly so that they are doing it before you correct them. Once we get to next week, we're going to be on all collar. We're not going to use uh, any ear pinch at all, and we're going to be off the table. At that point, we are going to be working with them on holding and taking the first few steps. We're also going to do our repetitive fetch hold while we sit on a chair or a bucket or you kneel. I sit on a chair. I've got a bad back. I like to have it where I'm comfortable and just work with the dogs in this. Again, remember these stages of training, the first four to six weeks are incredibly stressful on the dog. We have to give a lot of praise. You are going to condition the dog to choose praise by having a negative consequence that is something they don't want. So we're not harming the dog. We're just showing them a negative consequence and we're making them choose through conditioning their behavior the positive. You can't have them conditioned to, to choose what you want if you don't use a lot of praise. So too often we focus on the negative and very little positive. You need to have the negative consequence for doing stuff there, but we have to be incredibly positive when the dog is doing what you want. You don't want to be over the top so the dog, let's say they're sitting, where you tell the dog, good dog, good dog, and they stand up because now you're going to have to correct them. But every dog is different, but you can tell when a dog is really eating out of your hand and they're going, wow, I really love this. They want to please. So we have to use that as we're working with them during their training. So again, this week is going to be continuing your obedience, working with e-collar conditioning, and now we're going to be working on our conditioned retrieve on table for the last week and transitioning that over toward the end of the week where we're going to use the e-collar instead of an ear pinch, continue working on hold, and get us to next week where we're going to be off the table and starting to work with the dogs taking their first steps with the item in their mouth. Items you're going to need this week, you're going to need a pinch collar, you're going to need an e-collar, and you are going to need a, I, I use it, I don't call it a, I guess it's not a wooden dowel, it's actually an old wooden dog bone, but you're going to use that wooden parcel or a bumper in their mouth so that they understand they have to hold. So I hope this helps. I hope you guys are enjoying this. Now we have tried sharing our podcast to several training sites. They think that we're trying to sell stuff. So the podcast has been pulled. If you enjoy our podcast and you enjoy this gun dog training series, share it with your friends. Again, I'm not taking any training dogs in. We're full for the year. I'm not trying to uh, sell the system trying to provide it to you to help you so that you have the confidence to work with your own dog. So let's stay tuned for our hunting tip coming up right after this on Sporting Dog Adventures podcast. I am going to be the first to admit that sometimes kennels 
are kind of unsightly in the house. My wife for years was telling me how we needed to find something that wasn't just a kennel, but a piece of furniture. She showed me DCT kennels a long time ago, and we finally got with them, and we have partnered with them as a sponsor for Sporting Dog Adventures. DCT Kennels is more than a kennel. It's a piece of furniture. It is high-quality, American-made, and something you need as a focal point in your home. For more information, check out dctkennels.com. You will not be disappointed. The Sporting Dog Adventures podcast is proudly sponsored by Trupanion, medical insurance for the life of your pet. We all know that unexpected accidents can happen. That's why I partner with Trupanion's breeder support program to send all of my puppies home from Soggy Acres Retrievers with an offer for Trupanion coverage. Learn more about Trupanion and sign up for their free breeder support program by visiting trupanion.com breeder. Be sure to tell them that Sporting Dog Adventures sent you. the last 10 years, I've bought all my vehicles from the Boucher Automotive Group in Janesville. If you want to get a great Ram truck or a great Ford truck, my son actually bought a used Chevy truck from them. They have fair prices. They have a knowledgeable, honest staff, and they really stand behind their products. You can go on their websites, frankbouchercrysler.net or gordyboucherford.com and find out the inventory they have. Again, I know everyone's saying that it's so hard to find a vehicle. We've bought three vehicles this year during a time that, quote unquote, you can't find them. They have what you need and they're a great company to work with. Check out Boucher. They ride with you every mile. If you're a serious person about the outdoors, or you love shooting, or you just want a great hobby, or all of the above, you need to check out Mech Outdoors. From their shot shell and metallic reloading to their clay target machines, you will get a quality product that will give you so much more enthusiasm about your participation in the outdoors and also a great hobby that you can do with the whole family. Check out mechoutdoors.com for more. Hey, welcome back to the show. Hunting season, other than snow goose hunting, is pretty much over for everybody. Right now, we are looking forward to training and getting our dogs in shape. Even if you have a dog that is older and is spot on, we can always work with them on our obedience. We can always work with them on releasing on a retrieve. If you're doing waterfall type hunting, we can always work with them on quartering and staying close. The big key here is work with your dog once or twice a week so that we can get them in shape. We have to get weight off our dogs. We have to keep weight off our dogs and we have to keep their muscle tone up. As dogs get older, that is when they are more apt to get injuries. Part of that is weight. When we look at weight on a dog, let's say my dog Memphis, she weighs 50 pounds. People would say, well, it's only five pounds. If she has five extra pounds on her, it's actually 10%. Don't humanize weight gain on your dogs. Actually look at it and use it as a percentage. If you think of it as a percentage, you'll realize that 10% or 20% makes your dog obese. Their joints are only able to hold so much, and their joints are kept in better shape when you have good muscle tone around them. 
we can stay away from the dreaded knee injuries, shoulder injuries, hip injuries, if we just work with our dogs more. And it helps us too. Once a dog gets to about six or seven, they're headed in, heading into their twilight on training. So you want to make sure that you're keeping them in good shape year-round. If you have a waterfowl dog, or heck, even if it's just an upland dog, get them out there and swim them a lot. These are reduced impact type of exercises when they're swimming so that they're getting exercise, they're using muscles, and they're, they're, they're keeping their joints, I guess, in, in a position where they aren't getting more wear and tear. But if you want to help your dogs a lot, just take them out, get them some exercise a couple of times a week, go along with them. I know I need more exercise too. So that's your hunting tip as we head into the off season. I hope you guys really enjoyed this show. Please share us with your friends. Give us a five-star rating. We grow because of our audience. We have a strong platform because of you, and we appreciate your help in spreading our love for dogs and hope we can get more people into the field and grow our sport. Everyone have a great week. God bless.